0: or those 18 upon whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think they were the worst offenders in all Jerusalem? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. We have been told countless times that the English word gospel means good news. But the gospel lesson this morning has a bit of very stale news embedded in it. And when it was new, it was hardly good news either. Sometime around 30 AD, a building collapsed in Jerusalem. Buildings were always collapsing in Jerusalem. Land inside the city walls was very expensive and scarce. So buildings were built on top of buildings, and lumber for beams and supports was very expensive. And bricks were very cheap. This time, 18 people lost their lives and somewhere near the Tower of Siloam and everyone was talking about it and then a day or two the dust settled the rubble was cleared away and 18 funerals were held the event would have soon been forgotten except for the fact that our lord used it as a sermon illustration and a few days after its fall. And Matthew wrote it down, and the story has been with us ever since. Now, however stale the news story is, it does bear a relationship to all the other accidents and disasters which are news every single day. When our lives are touched, and changed by a sudden, unforeseen act of violence. We are tempted to make some sense out of it. We want to impose some sort of cause and effect. We want to see some moral order to find some reason or cause. Or at the very least, find someone to punish. So our Lord asks a rhetorical question, do you think that those 18 persons were the worst offenders in Jerusalem? No, he clearly implies, and I would suspect that he makes it clear no to include any notion that God had some plan or predestined those 18 people to end up under a pile of broken bricks. Which is to say, we are surrounded by chance. The creation in which we find ourselves has a lot of free play in it. And bad things do happen to good people. And nor can we expect to just piously resign ourselves, which eludes, which avoids any sense of responsibility for what does happen. And what God is able to make out of all this is really very much up to him. Now, how are we to step into a world which is created in that fashion? The first step, I think, is to live with thanksgiving when we see some plan or purpose in our lives we have to thank god for it in the midst of all the accidents and meaningless events there is still a great deal of order in the world where we are able to perceive god's plan and purpose for our lives These are very precious moments. I call them revelations of purpose. When you do know that there's a plan and purpose for your life. So when you find yourself in the good, right job at the right time and in the right place, or where your children or your parents tell you you have a reason for their lives, thank God that your life does have a reason. So live with thanksgiving. But that step can only take us so far. What happens when the tower does come crashing down on your head? Now the answer is in the gospel, twice. And at first hearing it can hardly be very comfortable. For Jesus says, do you think those 18 people were the worst offenders? Clearly no, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Now you didn't meet that Jesus in Sunday school. It sounds more like the ranting and raving of blessed John Baptist on the banks of the River Jordan. Those are not comfortable words. But I did find comfort in those words and in all places but 815 Second Avenue in New York. That is the national headquarters of the Episcopal Church. It's a big office building built in the late 1950s. It's a monument to ecclesiastical bureaucracy of dubious importance. But as you go into that building, on your left is a very large chapel. It's very expensively furnished, but I have never found it a very convenient, congenial place. But there I was, on my knees, saying the general confession at a service of Holy Communion. My hotel was around the corner, and I was stranded in New York for the better part of a week on my way to Italy. For the towers of the World Trade Center had come crashing down three days previous, And as I was saying that general confession, I heard the gospel as though it were addressed directly to me. Stick way, unless you repent, you'll be as dead in your spirit as those yet unnumbered thousands were dead in their bodies a few miles down the road unless you repent and it finally dawned on me that our lord was preaching to people who were afraid of towers coming crashing down he was talking about repenting of fear not fear of god that's a precious gift of the holy spirit but fear of the absence of god or the abandonment of God. Fear that life has no meaning or purpose. That fear is dangerous. That's the fear that political demagogues use to gain your vote and your allegiance. That's the fear that makes us afraid of strangers and aliens. That's the fear that builds walls. repent. There is a psalm in the Bible. It actually occurs twice. Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. Don't look it up in your prayer book because the translation there is no good. It robs it of all its poetic imagery. But there's a verse in that psalm that says they were afraid where no fear was. They were afraid where no fear was. It's mocking the person who doesn't believe in God. It begins by saying, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They were afraid where no fear was. That's a good verse to remember when you're in the doctor's office waiting for the results of a test or an x-ray. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. That's not a threat. That's advice. That's advice. And there is no vaccination against this kind of fear. Repentance is its only remedy. A couple of months after my general confession at 815 Second Avenue, I heard a confession. I was back in Florida, and a parishioner asked me to go visit her young nephew. He was a lapsed Roman Catholic, he had lately graduated from college, and very suddenly he was hit with a very serious illness which was going to require an operation of very guarded prognosis. Would I go see the young man? I did. I found him in his hospital room. He looked perfectly healthy to me and he acted sort of healthy as well. And we had a little banter back and forth and a little small talk. And then the young man, knowing I was an Episcopal minister, asked me if I heard confessions. And I said, "Oh, occasionally a courageous penitent crosses my path." But and said so he said, "Well, what I hear is confession." And I did. And he began with the customary formula, and then the confession he gave was probably the same confession that he made 15 years previous when, previously when he had made his first communion the Blessed Sacrament Church. But then at the end, he reverted to the opening formula with a twist. He closed his eyes and said, Bless me, Father, for I am afraid. Bless me, for I am afraid. The good news of this sermon is that God does answer that admission in all manner of times and places to each and every one of us. He answers with the grace and consolation of the Holy Spirit, the grace that engenders courage and nobility of spirit, the consolation which stirs up within us a gratitude for the love which surrounds us it tears apart the curtains of self-pity and lonely anxiety that breaks down the walls of prejudice and self-serving ignorance. So even amidst the falling tower We can belong to God's eternal life with thankful hearts. And only a fool is afraid where no fear is. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen.